Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined, as always, by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Hey, I'm glad to see you showed up for work today, Steve, and I am <laughs> excited about the show that we have coming up as Gary Klein will be joining us, one of the veteran pros. Certainly look forward to that. Good stuff. Let's get it going. Get her like that with one. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing today. Oh, did you just see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Aaron, man, I feel terrible leaving you all last week, making you go solo. I hope you can forgive me for that. Well, you know, I, I can't forgive you, but I'm telling you, you got me in a world of trouble with uh, Don Hertz and Steve Leslie and some of the production crew back at the studio there. They uh, they said they got tired of listening to me talk. That blows me away. Who could get tired of hearing Aaron Martin talk? <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not going to go. And I mean, and I'm a guy that's heard a lot of it too. You know. Oh, oh yeah, you're, you're you are you are qualified to make that assessment i can i can assure you on that however uh you know there's some things that you just don't want to hear the answer to so but no it's glad to have you back we had a good time uh got to talk about our fishing trip last week and so anyway looking forward to hear what went on while you were down in the great state of texas on assignment now remember that i like that i like that word on assignment (laughs) yeah on assignment that is a uh i think that has officially been added to uh a comma after your name on assignment steve brigman comma on assignment that's that's your new title. I think in the Bass Edge Dictionary, that means gone fishing. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did go do a little fishing and uh, just had an opportunity that I've just been looking forward to for, for the longest time. You know, Bob Lusk, who is a frequent visitor to the podcast and the television show, is kind of known as the Pond Boss. He has Pond Boss Magazine, and he makes his living managing ponds for other folks and has uh, managed some of the you know big athletes, ponds, and Ray Scotts, and a lot of the really great fishing holes. But his place, he has eight lakes on his place. And he invited my brother and myself up for an afternoon of fishing. Well... Yeah, on assignment. <laughs> well, I'm I, gone, baby. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> well, I can assure you that, you know, A, obviously, you know, what a what a tremendous opportunity. But if you think about it, I mean, that's that's the equivalent of getting to kind of go shag balls with uh, Babe Ruth or something, you know, or <laughs> a course designed by, you know, Arnold Palmer or something like that. I mean, I'm sure you were able to pick up and kind of really put your hands around all the items that he's been talking about, both on the television show and then also on the on the podcast of what goes into the management and the design of, of what he does. That's so true. And it was a great opportunity to get to go catch some fish. Uh, catch some different fish. He's got different species and different ponds, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, really neat, but, uh, you know, it was an opportunity for uh, me and my brother Jeff to sort of pick his brain a little bit about uh, various things, questions we'd always had. He and his wife, Debbie, were marvelous hosts, 
and we just had a good old time, and we caught some pretty daggum good fish. Well, maybe one day I'll get to go down there. You know, when I move up in the ranks of Bass Edge, maybe I'll get the <laughs> <laughs> Hey, when I get to fish on the boat on the show, you get to go to lunch. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. you. You get to do quite a bit of watching. No, not complaining. I'm happy you got to do that, and I can't wait to see some of the photos and, and hear more about it. Yeah, we, we had a great time. And, of course, Bob told me, he says, well, look, I've got, you know, I've got this pond over here that's got big bass in it. I've got this pond over here that's got tilapia and very large hybrid rim and then I've got a catfish hole over here well we kind of wanted to hit a little bit of it all and uh kind of like you at a buffet line yeah (laughs) yeah and uh and I gorged myself like I usually do but uh you know we started with the big bass and we caught a few but uh I tell you we got into those those hybrid brim we took some very small very light tackle up and these brim, some some of these, I say brim, they're hybrid bluegills, and uh, some of these rascals were weighing like a pound and more. Holy cow. Well, I, I can tell you one thing. If you had light tackle, I'm not too sure that I would have ventured too far away from that. That had to be just a, a blast. What in the world were you catching them on? Oh, we were catching them on small clip-on spinners like uh, beetle spins, and then we threw some some little small spinner jigs like uh, like road runners and stuff. So essentially, it was just like targeting bass or anything else that uh, you weren't fishing live bait. You were basically just you know, grinding and winding. Oh, absolutely. Let me tell you, this is going to break your heart right here, but there's a single road between those two lakes, and we were using his gator, and we had all our rods piled in the back, our brim rods, and you could turn around and cast one direction and catch a bass, release it, take a picture, release it, and turn the other way and catch a big old bluegill. So, uh, Man, that ain't right. <laughs> I tried to be as nice as I could so I could get invited back, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that went. Sure. But. Now, when you say terminal tackle, you know, what – beyond just the baits what were the type of rods and you know line and you know were you using spinning or, or bait casting gear or what, what were you well doing? you know i took i tried to take a, i took really more stuff than i could carry around but uh we had the gator so we could carry some stuff around so we had some just some uh you know medium bait casting gear you know i'd put monofilament line you know you you get to choose you know you're going to this place you know nothing about it and you have to pick and i wanted to, to have one bag of tackle and so it was very yeah, how'd that how'd that work out for you? <laughs> yeah, I know that horrifies you. You should oh, go yeah. anywhere <laughs> without a whole boat full of stuff. But uh you know, it's very interesting sitting there not knowing what in the world's going on, where you're going or anything about it, and trying to put a tackle together. Of course I had some spinner baits in there, but uh went uh with a good variety of soft plastics. I think it's just uh, as versatile as it gets. Made sure I had a lot of different sizes and weights. You know, that's one thing, we, you know, we talked about this pond fishing before, but sometimes you need to put a little more weight on there than you would like to fish just so you can make the casts. You know, just so you can get that extra three or four feet because you're fishing from the bank. But we ended up catching our fish on, you know, just standard ringworm type plastics. And then after that, it was getting dinner time. So Bob instructed us to head down to Catfish Pond and catch our supper. And well, we did just that. Man, you tell me to do that. We might go hungry. Um, <laughs> hey, speaking of, because I know you had a limited time there, obviously. I mean, it mm-hmm. wasn't like you were there for, for a week. You had basically, I think, had one one afternoon. So how did you, just given the, the vast amount of water that you had to fish in the different species, you know, this this ties in perfectly with when we hit the lake. How did you break down of where you were going to start and, and what areas you were going to target? Some of those things. To be honest with you, you know, Bob pointed us here and there, but the bass pond was, it was one of those places that make your, your mouth water. It was in a steep little ravine, very deep, 
flooded cedar trees. There was uh, uh, water running into it from his wells that he keeps water in his ponds with. And so you had this cool water. So right there at that cool water intake was an excellent place to catch fish. But as that creek wound back, you could tell that it was a very steep creek, but you could kind of tell where the creek was because of where the cedar trees were up off of it. And we were catching our bass on the edge of that creek. I mean, exactly the same thing you'd expect on a big lake. And so uh, creek bank, structure, standard stuff. The bluegill pond was more of an open bowl. In fact, Bob told me that was their swimming lake. They'd actually built that to swim, and it's gorgeous. It's just right down at the bottom of the hill from the house. You know, it was kind of rimmed with vegetation. It went out about five or six feet, and those fish were in that vegetation. And you'd try to find a spot where you could pull parallel to the edge of that vegetation the best you could. Like if you'd find a little point or get on a corner of the lake and cast back, say, down the dam, you know, that's how you really got hit every time. Would there have been advantages if if you would have had like some sort of small inflatable or, you know, a, a watercraft to actually get out and cast back to the bank? Or in this case, did it really matter? Well, I think, yeah, it probably would have. I mean, the lakes are, they're not enormous, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're one to two acre type lakes. And uh, my brother's got uh, a health issue and it was very difficult to climb, you know, in and out of boats. So we just decided to do our best from the bank and we could make most of the casts. You know, there was that magic spot out there on the point with a stick. You said, man, I can't make that cast, but I know there's a big old fish sitting there. But the ponds were mostly fishable from the bank. And like I said, you know, we got there 4.30 in the afternoon and, and just fished till dark. And so we just got a small sample of it. Went down and caught us a couple of really nice catfish. And Bob and Debbie grilled that up for us. And we just had a wonderful dinner. Wow, what a day. And, you know, I'm sure that not only brought back a lot of memories growing up. Because, you know, quite honestly, that's how we used to do things. And still, I'm sure you still get a lot of enjoyment also creating new memories. But, uh, hey, speaking of memories... I know we all have some memories of Gary Klein and the numerous victories that he has down through the years. And I've got to be honest with you, Steve, I'm looking forward to uh, to this upcoming interview. Well, I was so excited when you got Gary to come on the show. Uh, he's just one of the, the standards in this industry. I just can't wait to hear this interview. So let's take a quick break here and pay a few bills and come back and listen to your talk with Gary Klein. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Welcome back. Our next guest is an angler that has spent his entire 35-year working career as a professional angler, earning over $2.2 million. He also recently positioned himself in the postseason Angler of the Year chase for BASS. From Weatherford, Texas, it's Gary Klein. Gary, welcome to The Edge. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's a privilege for me to be on here. Thank you. 
Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And, you know, before we dive off and tackle this week's topic, I, I know you're in Alabama and anxious for the start of tomorrow's tournament. You must be feeling pretty good about right now as far as your chances and just, you know, the fact that you accomplished kind of, I'm sure, what a lot of anglers set out in their goals at the beginning of the year. Well, exactly. You really don't know how the year is going to turn out. Uh, I've always been the type of angler that focuses, you know, one fish at a time, one day at a time, and then good things happen. And it's been a pretty good year. Um, you know, I really don't have any complaints. I had a couple uh, opportunities that I could have done a little bit better, but hey, that's just competition. Well, absolutely, and you know, I'll take that one step further. That's just fishing, and a lot of us here, too, you know, like to <laughs> participate in the yeah. sport. You know, maybe it's recreationally, maybe it's even not even on a, on a formal level, but certainly you have been such an ambassador down through the years and such a, a quality competitor, and really what we want to accomplish today is get into your thought process by hearing, you know, kind of some of your expl- explanations and, and what has made you Gary Klein and, and made you the angler that you are. So, you know, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to go through some, you know, we'll just start out with some true-false questions and kind of get uh, get your input on this and insight, and then also some explanation and follow-up on that. That work. All right. True or false, Gary? You are very intellectual. True. Well, how does that how does that serve you? And I guess when you think of an angler being intellectual, um, can you explain that a little bit further? It's a challenge for me to come out and try to figure these fish out. I'm a loner. Uh, I like to do things on my own, and uh, that's kind of the reward that I have in fishing. And do you think that, you know, by, by kind of keeping to yourself and, and you know, that challenge, uh, that that serves you well, you know, as far as figuring out the fish when it comes time at the end of the day? Well, exactly. Um, you know, I, I really feel as an angler that I'm involved in the sport for the right reasons, and the right reasons I truly love to fish. Whether I was competing or just fishing, I mean, I was raised fishing. That's just part of a lifestyle for me. Uh, I'm just fortunate to where I have the opportunity to compete at the highest level against the best anglers in the country. Well, and certainly you are in it for the right reasons, and I think that shows not only in your professional career, but also uh, just, you know, what your peers and the audience has to say about you. True or false? Not afraid to do anything. True. And how does that kind of come into when you apply that to the sport of fishing? What, well, what does that translate yeah, to? Well, I really feel that that, that it is an asset. Uh, I'm not afraid to abandon patterns that were working yesterday. I'm always searching for something that's better. I'm never satisfied, and I'm always trying to improve. And that's part of me being very enthusiastic about my fishing. Uh, I take it very seriously, but I never, I, I don't like status quo. I always try to push. Uh, to the next level, whatever that level may be. Well, and that kind of then uh, already answers the the next question and as somewhat of a no-brainer, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. You work as hard as anybody out there. Yes, without a doubt. Now, is there a difference in your opinion between working hard and working smart? Yeah, I think that's huge. Uh, I think it's real important, too, for the listeners to understand that, you know, that's one of the great things about this sport is that there's no two anglers that are the same. You know, we're all different. We read the water different. We all have different strengths and weaknesses as anglers. So what I may go, I may go through an area and think that it doesn't look good to me and somebody else is liable to come in there behind me and think it's the greatest water that they've ever found. So it is very, you know, it is an individual sport. We all look at it different. 
and our approaches are all different. And the next question is, you log and keep track of everything? Uh, pretty much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm a student of the game. So all that information, uh, of course, now it's readily available. Um, I, I think the point that I'm trying to make is I don't like to forget. I like to go back and, and do my homework. I prepare. I spend a lot of uh, a lot of my time preparing for every event that I compete in. So what are you actually logging before or after, you know, your day on the water? Well, most important is I always try to log, you know, time of year, type of lake, the main species uh, that's, you know, predominant in that body of water, and then current conditions and, uh, you know, the techniques that prevailed, uh, whether I was using them or the winner of the event was using them. And that's one thing that's fascinating, too, about this sport is just because one individual was fortunate enough to win the event does not mean that what he was doing was the only technique that could have been used to have won that same event. There's always multiple patterns that are taking place. And normally what happens is you have an angler that gets in the right area, that fits his personality, he's able to apply a strength that he's real comfortable with. And those are usually the guys that will prevail, but... Uh, there's always multiple techniques available. Well, um, certainly that is the case. And so then are you referencing and uh, when you look back at your data, are you comparing your own notes perhaps against, you know, other information that is readily accessible, maybe perhaps via the Internet or some other medium? Yeah, I always take uh, a log, uh, you know, and note what I've done. Uh, and I do uh, research on the web. It does keep you current because some of these bodies of water uh, – fished on most of them in the United States, but sometimes it's been several years since we into that body of water. And fishing kind of comes and goes, and reservoirs and bodies of water have their peaks and valleys. And I just like to stay current. I always try to look at what winning weights are, and I always try to add, because these guys that I compete against are truly the best. Uh, it seems like they always figure out how to catch better quality fish. <laughs> so it's kind of a combination, but most important is just research. And finally, as far as on the true and false questions, we can only focus on the variables in our control, true or false. Uh, true. Uh, you know, there are a lot of uncontrolled variables out there, but some we have full warning, uh, such as weather. Uh, that's something that probably affects uh, current conditions and patterns more than anything else because that can change by the hour. Uh, so, you know, going into an event, at the beginning of the week, it's important to start understanding the uh, local weather patterns, you know, what has been and what is predicted, you know, that is coming, and try to, you know, formulate a game plan around that. Well, you know, and kind of shifting gears now away from the, the fun and the true and false and, and um, the information provided there, but you've been quoted uh, saying that there are really four considerations for becoming a better angler. Not that there's only four, but certainly four of your considerations would be time of year slash seasonal pattern, type of water, maybe it's a man-made, you know, natural uh, lake, a river system, tidal system. Number three would be species, you know, large mouth, small mouth, and spots. And then the fourth consideration would be identifying one's strengths and weaknesses. Let's start with, with number one, time of year and seasonal patterns. What are the characteristics for the middle part of September of which we find ourselves right now? Well, first of all, uh, school started. Summer activities on a lot of these bodies of water is kind of, I don't want to say it's gone away, but it's starting to calm back down a little bit, if, if I could use that term. The nights are starting to cool a little bit. 
you know, the shad start balling up. And usually, you know, there's a really good fall bite that usually starts sometime in the mid September and runs through late October, first part of November. And what are, you know, as far as keying in on kind of this time of year and in in this seasonal pattern, um, what are going to be the areas that you're going to identify as high percentage areas and the baits of which to pick those apart? Well, you know, referring to the two uh, bodies of water that I'm about to compete on here this week, you know, Lake Jordan is a lake that is full of uh, Coosa River spots. Jordan is the fourth lake on the Coosa River uh, below Mitchell and Lay and Logan Mountain. But it also has some really good quality largemouth in it. And I think that may be a real key to catching the big bags is to have a good five or six pound kicker largemouth in there with a good limit of spots. Um, it is a man made reservoir and it's a small body of water. It's only 6,000 acres. It's more of the upper section is more of a river, the lower section is more of a small lake. Um, so that's exciting. Small body of water. 12 best guys on it, and um, I think it's going to be a really good shootout. But then I take a look at the Alabama River. We have some 80 miles of water that we can fish, and that's going to open the field up a little bit. But I think what it's also going to do is it's going to allow anglers and myself to run a pattern. And what I mean by pattern, sometimes some of the best patterns that I have are visual patterns. In other words, if the Alabama River has current in it, then I may be keen on current breaks where I can run down the river and see something that's breaking current and pull up and in a real quick time span either catch the fish or move on to the next one. Normally when I'm competing with a large field, that kind of takes some of these easy easy fish out of the equation because other guys get on the pattern and you end up fishing behind other people. So now only with 12 anglers on the water, that's going to open up a lot of these patterns for us guys fish. So tra- that translating into uh, you know the the average Joe that's out here of us that's that's on the water, you know you, you tied in the the type of water um, and and spoke about how one body of water has a river system. You know when you compare that to let's say man-made natural lakes, river systems, or tidal systems, is that going to be a indication of where you might start looking for the fish? Well, exactly. You know I've always said that you know bass are conditioned by their environment. And, you know, if it's clear water, then the fish in clear water are predominant sight feeders. The water is off-color, and to me, they're more ladder-line feeders. Um, but, yeah, it's all part of the equation. You know, time of year, type of lake, species of fish, current conditions, your strengths and weaknesses, all are interconnected. And you've got to kind of look at everything, you know, the morning before, you know, or leading into your game plan as you put it together. Jordan Lake, to me, is going to be kind of a mystery. Uh, I, I feel that I, I know what to expect on the Alabama River. Uh, Jordan, uh, I don't. So I'm going to fish it with an open mind. I have a couple key patterns that I'm going to look for, but I may end up having to abandon that. You know, two days of practice on 6,000 acres, I'll be able to see the whole lake twice. And um, once I develop a pattern, I don't need to keep running it. So that will give me time to go look for a secondary pattern in case I have a couple of the good anglers running the same pattern that I'm running. Um, I'll have something to fall back onto. And, you know, finally, along those those four topics that we were talking about, strengths and weaknesses. You know, there's, like you said earlier, there's so many variables that come into play. But, you know, are you one to more or less play towards your strengths and away from your weaknesses, or 
do you try and develop your weaknesses to you know become compatible with your strengths, or how does that piece of the puzzle come into play? Well, I think I think it's real important that all anglers, uh, regardless of what level they feel that they are at, whether they're just a weekend warrior or a seasoned veteran, it's real important that you identify your strengths, things that you're really good at, and your weaknesses. And a weakness is not saying that they can't catch fish using a certain technique, but some anglers prefer not to fish certain ways because it just doesn't fit their personality or whatever. Where I'm competing on these venues for the next two weeks for the Angler of the Year title, you know, the most prestigious titles that we have in bass fishing today. And I know what it takes to win that title. And you just can't go out there and wait for things to happen. We're going to be forced to go out and make things happen. So I feel that with this field of competitors I'm competing against, 11 of the best of the world, that I have to bring my A game. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to develop patterns with techniques that I really feel comfortable with, techniques that I know I can win with. And um, so that's kind of my game plan here. And that's also hard for me because I'm a very versatile angler. I can catch them on light line, and I can catch them on heavy line, shallow and deep, and fast and slow. So... Two days of practice, is, you know, these are all things that I'm going to have to sort out going into the first day of competition. All that I want to do is put myself in a position and around the right type of fish to give myself an opportunity to win this event with. And uh, if I leave here knowing that I did the best I could to win the event and I end up dead last, then I'll feel really good. What I wouldn't feel good is if I came here and I was scattered brain. And I tried to do everything that I knew how to do and never accomplished anything uh, kind of leads to being confused. And I want to leave here with a really good feeling that, you know, I left it all out there. I did everything I could to, to win the event. Well, and you beat me to the chase there because speaking of your versatility and, and just the, you know, the known fact that you can pretty much catch fish doing anything, how do you take that and, and keep yourself from having that mental warfare and getting, like you said, to, to steal your phrase, scatterbrained? How do you narrow that down and how can we narrow that down so that we're, be, you know, becoming efficient and working smart? Well, I think probably the most important thing is just feel comfortable about your ability to catch fish. You know, because just because a fish bites on a certain lure doesn't mean that that was the only lure that fish would have bit. Uh, if I was in the boat with you and watched you fish and I watched you make a, a cast and catch a fish, I could probably real quickly identify half a dozen other lures you could have had tied on into your line and caught that fish with. So, you know, in practice when I'm fishing, I'm not really that concerned about having the right bait tied on to catch everything. What I want to do is I want to have lures tied on that will help me cover the water, expose the fish that are in the area, whether it's a productive lure or not. I can always make those changes because I have such a broad knowledge of lures and techniques. Uh, so I'm going, to, I'm going to really focus on a few techniques and just cover a lot of work and look for what I feel is the key thing, time of year type of lake, main species of fish, and I'm going to apply my strengths. Well, Gary, as Steve Brigman likes to point out, I could literally sit here and talk all day, but I'm sure you have a lot more preparation to do. Thanks for your time, and certainly best of luck in your upcoming days, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you and look forward to it again in the very near future. Well, thank you very much, Jared. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Power. Productivity. Speed. 
it's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hi, this is George Cochran. I'm Dave Wolak. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Clark Winland. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. Hi, this is Jim Tut, and you're listening to The Edge. Man, hearing that was a great interview, man, and and Gary Klein, one of the top guys out there. Uh, I I loved hearing him talk about this uh, working smarter instead of harder. You know, we learn through life that we can get what we want if we work hard, but sometimes working smarter is just the way to go, and you don't have to be a brain surgeon to do that. No, exactly, and I think that's what fishing, when you look at it, it's, I mean, there's numerous opportunities out there. I thought when he pointed out, you know, the fact that if he watched myself or somebody else catch a fish, chances are, you know, he can identify numerous other baits that would have caught that same fish that would have went along with maybe the action or the color or things like that. And, you know, I think of us getting too focused on, well, you know, it's got to be this bait or it has to be this color or, mm-hmm. you know, and just trying to narrow it down so much. That's really what he works against, I guess, is expanding options you know and i think as an angler when we are on the water that is very important to keep in mind well and then i mean that's what separates guys like him from guys like like me i mean you know i would tend to get the word on what's where they're hitting and what kind of bait they're wanting but uh a guy like him goes in with no preconceived notions he starts fishing and makes adjustments even cast to cast absolutely it's it's a constant update of information you know real time data that he was he is working with whether it be from what he is sensing on the end of his line to weather conditions to you know activities taking place within nature all the above um, and I really enjoyed not only his interview, I also appreciate him taking time, you know, before he hits the, the water to there tomorrow, and then just his kind of his four considerations for becoming a better angler. I, I you know, I just really don't think there's that much more we can say about it, Steve, because he did <laughs> such a good job. Well, and we certainly uh, wish him luck out there today. Uh, I think he'll, uh, obviously, he's going to be one of the favorites, but... Uh... Mm-mm, but I tell you what, uh, those 15 minutes were just not long enough. I, I can't wait to get Gary back on the on the podcast, and uh, we'll see if we can talk him into coming and doing the show with us. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan to me. Well, Aaron, I got a good question for you this week. Brian in Modesto, California has a question for you, and it goes, I listen to the podcast regularly and hope that this question is worth reviewing. I live in California, not far from the Delta, which is one of my favorite bodies of water to fish. When pre-fishing for a multiple-day tournament such as the Snag Proof Open, and I'll point out that that's a tournament where you can only use that one bait, are you better using other baits to locate active fish than key in on those fish with other baits, or are you better off pre-fishing with that bait only? 
Brian says thanks. Brian, thank you for sending that in. First off, man, he, he kind of touched on uh, several of our favorites there, Steve. One is the <laughs> fact of his pro- close proximity uh, to the California Delta. The other thing is concerning throwing a frog. And, uh, yes, the snag-proof open, you know, they have two of these. One is actually out on the Delta. The other one is uh, there in Lake on Lake Gunnersville uh, out east. So kind of a nice combination. I, you know, my take on that is – I'm going to throw the frog. I mean, if that's what we're going after, if that's the only thing that you can you can use, probably going to work it fast. See if you can get some some raises, you know, in the uh, the canopy that those are so familiar uh, for doing. And you know, I'm going to go after it that way. I think taking a chase bait and throwing in if they miss the frog or something like that. I just don't see any point in doing that during practice because you're not going to be able. Um, to do that in the tournament and quite honestly as you well know steve man you can cover a lot of water with a frog so just keep that trolling motor down and uh you know keep it going well no that makes perfect sense and and of course you know we do talk about using search baits and and then when you say find some fish you start developing a pattern to to fine-tune it into say using other baits but you know in this case he gets to fish with one bait and so he needs to find where the fish are that are going to hit that bait and uh, i think you're you're dead on and of course I know you, you you would never put that frog down anyway. Oh, man, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I can't think of a better scenario to where somebody is actually forcing me to throw a frog all day. So, But, no, they, they have, you know, different types. There's different bait companies that do that all over, from jerk baits to jigs to mm-hmm. all, all sorts of things. And I think it's it's really a neat idea because you, you really get to compare and contrast. But uh, back to Brian's, you know, particular question, I'm going to pick up that frog, and I'm just going to go to work and, and tie it on and, and leave it on all day long. Right, cover a lot of base, and like you said, don't throw back. If you, get yeah. <laughs> you want to catch them tomorrow, not today, right? Absolutely. So, uh, well, anyway, we certainly uh, appreciate Brian, and always great to hear from our friends in California and write in and make us jealous about the Delta. So. Exactly, and, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> man, I'm ready to get back out there. And speaking of, of getting back out there, Steve, uh, we've kind of reached the, the end of our segment today, if you can believe that. Boy, it uh, it slips by pretty fast, and uh, boy, it's great to be back on the show, and look forward to next week. Uh, what do we have next week? We have Western Angler, of course he fishes all over the nation, but uh, resides in Oceanside, California, Gabe Bolivar, and I'm sure that is going to be interesting. We'll see if we can't get some of those Western secrets that uh, he now uses all over the country. But Steve, as you mentioned, we are out of time, and unfortunately that is it for today, but be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen each and every day on the World Fishing Network and also Wild TV in Canada. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the pros and a chance to win great prizes and look at some of that excellent merchandise. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge. The Edge.